I'm going to be transparent with the public, Mary. A judge signed a document issuing a permanent restraining order for family violence. And he actually got up and started coming towards me. He was mad just knowing the history. It was a very scary moment. Given the power that a superintendent has, that's really what distresses me. Innocent, vulnerable children sitting in our classrooms whose parents are delivering them to our schools with an expectation that putting their needs first, but that is not happening. It's extremely troubling. Welcome to the Bone and Weston podcast report. I'm your host, Danielle Weston. And Mary Bone. And we are two moms here in Round Rock ISD in Central Texas who just happened to get elected to their local school board uh, about three years ago. And we're here to share our experiences and to help educate the public about what it's really like to be on a local school board. Today, we're going to talk about heavy topic. Um, Round Rock ISD has the unique distinction as being the only school district in the state of Texas, at least that we know about who employs a superintendent who has a who has a permanent restraining order for family violence. So again, we have 1200 school districts in the state. This is the only one here in Round Rock ISD that we know of where the superintendent has a permanent restraining order. And we want to talk about that um, because I think a lot of our community members here locally have heard about that, but we want to dive a little bit deeper into it and really talk about what's most important, which is how this impacts our children. We've got 46,000 students here in Round Rock ISD and that's, you know, who Mary Bone and I care about the most. It's why we uh, ran for this. And so I just want to start by asking you, Mary, you know, what are your thoughts on the fact that the board majority, and I want to be clear, you and I voted no to hiring the superintendent. We have voted no on all of his uh, uh, contract extensions, bonuses. So our conscience is clear. Um, we, we've always opposed this. We don't believe in this. We don't think this is good. But can you share your thoughts now that this is where we are here with this superintendent? Yeah, sure. And I'd like to to clarify that when he was first hired, he didn't have a permanent restraining order, but it was very shortly afterwards um, that he was given a permanent restraining order for family violence. And um, I'm not for sure really how we got here. It's uh, been very bizarre to you and I. I know we've talked a lot about this and how does a superintendent um, not only the board majority vote to keep him, but there is a big question here of the Texas Education Agency and the uh, SBEC, which is the State Board Educators Certificate or uh, State Certification. Certification. Yeah. How do they allow somebody with a permanent restraining order to stay a, a superintendent who, by the way, has full access to every child and every staff member in our district? So I, I think that's a question that needs to be answered. And I know you and I have asked this. Um, I think you and I have a lot of ideas of why he's gotten to stay in our district specifically. Um, at the state level, I'm not for sure we still understand, but I, I would like to get your thoughts on why do you think that the board majority keeps voting to give him extensions um, and keep him, even though we, we should also mention that he, he was put on administrative leave and a whole investigation came out of that. Um, regarding this permanent restraining order and the investigator basically said that he couldn't come back to the district and be successful as superintendent and yet the board majority still voted him back so what are your thoughts on why he gets to stay well i think mary you know throughout my life um obviously you know my background um i was a military officer for many years i also worked in the private sector I've also been a mom and a stepmom and a wife. I've, I've worn many hats. And my life experience tells me that when I'm looking at a situation and it doesn't make sense, 
It's because there are things going on there that I just don't know. And you and I have asked so many questions about this and we just never get answers. So I I just have to say, Mary, I think that there is something going on here. I don't know if it's agreements that are made between trustees and the superintendent. I, I, I could only speculate because I don't know because it doesn't make sense. I'll tell you, I, I talk to a lot of people here in our community and around the state. And I ask them, I say, you know, would you leave your children with somebody who has a, a permanent restraining order for family violence? And Mary, here's the thing. I always get a shocked look and people look at me like, you're crazy. Nobody would do that. And I say, well, we do it every day here in Round Rock ISD. We have uh, 46,000 students, uh, a workforce, which is primarily female, a primarily female workforce. And we do this every day. And people act like... Or, you know, our, our colleagues on the board, they act like it's normal, they act like it's okay. And a, a common refrain I think that we hear from them is, well, you know, innocent until proven guilty. And, you know, this law enforcement agency investigating, there's nothing there. Mary, you and I, are, we're not judges. We, we don't, we're not um, lawyers. We, we don't stand in judgment of anybody. Our job is to protect children and staff. And what we do know is that a judge signed a document issuing a permanent restraining order for family violence. That's all we know. And in no aspect of our lives and nobody that we've ever met, do people tell us that they would turn their children over to an individual with this documentation. But but here it is. And I will tell you, and I'm going to be transparent with the public, Mary, if you could speak on, do you and I meet, do we ever put ourselves in a situation where we're alone with him? And how do you think that this impacts the staff? Sure. I've I've been very clear that I personally do not meet alone with him. As a female, I have worked mainly as an engineer with mostly men, and I have never been in a situation where I've had to work alone with a person that has a permanent restraining order for family violence. So I I do not meet one-on-one -on -one with him. I've had community members tell me that they will not meet one-on-one -on -one with him. Um, I think staff members are quiet about this. I don't know how they feel, but I think you and I as women and both women that worked in, you know, different workplaces, I just, I can't imagine who would be comfortable working one-on-one -on -one, um, with a man that has a permanent restraining order for family violence against a woman um, who was another educator. And, and I would also like to, you know, call the public's attention to something they may not know, but that's what, that we were in a, semi-private meeting with him um, because we do what they call team of eight training and there was other people in the room and there was I made a statement that made um, one of the other trustees upset and the superintendent and he actually got up and started coming towards me and you were actually sitting beside me I'm on the opposite side and you and I both came away with that thinking he was coming after me he did stop before he got to me but he was mad and just knowing the history it, it was very it was a very scary moment. Um, and I do know the other trustees did not take it seriously. I actually turned that complaint into TEA um, because I didn't know where else to go. And I I have been really concerned that I personally have been put in these situations and then thinking about other staff members um, and then especially children and even parents. I just don't know what people would feel or how they would feel having to to work one-on-one -on -one privately with this person. And I'll say, Mary, I mean, I think one thing that you and I agree on is we don't ask other people to do things that we would not do ourselves, right? So we don't have different or higher expectations of other people than we do for ourselves. We would not 
we do not feel comfortable uh, being alone with an individual with the permanent restraining order. So that's why, you know, since his that order was imposed on him, you know, we've been consistent in our votes to oppose the contract extensions, the raises, the bonuses, because our vote as trust, you know, obviously we only speak for ourselves. We don't speak for the board as a body corporate, but with the only power we have is to cast a vote. And to ca- and when we vote no on these employment decisions, which are all taken publicly, uh, we're codifying that into the record where we stand on this. And you're hearkening back your story when we were in that uh, room behind closed doors. That was in May of 2022. It was um, a, a team of eight training, and I was. It, it ha- it's not often in my life that I'm in a, a workplace professional setting, and I experience concern for my safety or the safety of others. It's, it's a, a memory that is ingrained in my head. I'll never forget it. It was wildly inappropriate, and it does make me concerned for our staff and for our students. Um, but given the power that a superintendent has, that, that's really what distresses me. And, and it, it distresses a lot of people because they're, they're watching this. And you, know, you mentioned the State Board of Educators certification. So this is an appointed board, a 15 member board appointed by the governor. And you know, they're, they have a website and you can go, you can see who the appointees are. You can see um, all, a list of all of the names. Some people don't realize this. We have 400,000 educators in Texas and some of them you know, do really bad things. And it's real, it's all public. So you can go to the State Board of Educators certification website and you can see all these educators who have all these, you know, infractions and things that they've done. And you can see whose license gets suspended for a year, two years, who loses their license. And you see the reasons why. And I will tell you that some educators in our community, you know, they watch these things and they tell me how how is it that there's all these educators on this website getting in trouble, license being suspended, losing license for all these different things. And yet we have a superintendent here who's getting off from their perspective scot-free. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that, Mary, about how this impacts the workforce, the primarily female workforce, when they look at these comparisons? Yeah, and I think I think you're bringing up the point that this is possibly a statewide problem and not just a localized round rock problem, because I do think educators see a double standard, especially between administrators. Um, I believe when we went to look at, uh, in the state of Texas, superintendents have a license that's a special license. And we went to look and there's not been a superintendent that we could find that actually had their superintendent's license pulled in Texas. Um, they can surrender them, so they give them up willingly. There's there's different ways. But from what we could find at the time, um, you know, we didn't do a lot of research, so maybe way, you know, or, or maybe we missed one. but. We are a rather large school district in Texas, and we couldn't find a large school district in Texas where a superintendent had their license taken. But you are correct. Where in other instances, we've personally seen educators that have had to leave our district for what I would consider more uh, minor infractions than um, having a permanent restraining order. And I think it is also for those listening to understand that that permanent restraining order was through a civil case. Um, the criminal side of it, everybody should know was going to be in Travis County under um, a district attorney named Jose Garza. Um, everybody could go look him up. Um, I, I believe there's some filings currently, maybe an 80, chapter 87 lawsuit gonna, either is filed against him, I do believe. Um, and there, Governor Abbott has weighed in on Jose Garza. 
So there, there's possible other reasons. Um, and here again, you know, I think you have to use adult reasoning in these situations and you have to look at everything from uh, a holistic context and not just, well, he was never criminally charged. Well, he was never criminally charged in Travis County um, with Jose Garza. Jose Garza lets a lot of people go. Um, and Jose Garza, you know, we could have a whole conversation about him, but I think there's other things going on here. And and the adults in this in our schools, they see this. They locally, they know this. Um, and then for our board to kind of act naive and about what's really going on, um, I think the educators, you know, they go to other districts. They're just, you know, they're not going to put up with this type of, you know, that type of leadership. Um, and then, you know, it does question, you know, what kind of leadership does that leave you with then, right? Because, you know, what have we seen with the leadership, right? I'll let you kind of talk about, have we seen the leadership in our district uh, change? So that's, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because that's exactly where I was headed. Because ultimately the topics that we talk about here on our podcast, we, we talk about the things that matter and, and the impact on students and the impact on our, our community, because that's why we're here. Um, you know, this, the superintendent of our school district has many direct reports, I think maybe a dozen and a half direct reports somewhere around there. So these are people who work directly for him. And since he was hired in the summer of 2021, there has been 100% turnover of every single direct report. Every single person that reports to him directly um, has left quote, retired or otherwise departed our school district. Now, I, I happen to have a background in human resources. So um, back during my working days in both the public and private sector, my job was to make sure that we had the right people and the right jobs at the right time with the right training to execute our mission. And so any time, regardless of the industry, when you have 100% of the direct reports working for a highly compensated senior executive and they all leave, you know, and in this case, it's just a brief two years. So this isn't some like some sort of like eight to 10 year time horizon. This is 24 months. Okay. And you've got 100% turnover in any industry. This is a red flag. This is a problem. This is a lack of confidence in leadership. So Mary, you can have your opinions. I can have my opinions. We can have all of our opinions. But when you look at the departures of the people who work directly for him, it is a reflection on him, period. That's what my experience as a human resources professional tells me. So I know that there's an impact. And as we know, in leadership, a fish rots from the head. And that turnover, that that has a negative impact downstream on the workforce. And ultimately, that impacts our students, innocent, vulnerable children sitting in our classrooms, whose parents are delivering them to our schools every single day with an expectation that, that all of the due diligence and safety and, and putting their needs first is coming first, but that is not happening. What is happening is this board majority, for reasons unknown to you and I, are prioritizing employing this superintendent with a permanent restraining order, and we don't know why. They keep extending his contract. They keep giving him bonuses, and it it's extremely troubling. And I, I feel like at this point, Mary, given the votes that we've cast, all we can do is turn it over to our community and let them decide what they want to do with this. But before we close out, do you have any final thoughts that you want to make sure that our listeners hear? Yeah, I want to also add that some of those positions have actually turned over multiple times. 
And I would also like to add that, you know, some of those positions, we were a high-ranked district. So I just want listeners to understand that this wasn't something that, you know, maybe everybody needed to go. Um, I don't think that would be our opinion. No, not um, at all. I don't think that was the, and actually, I don't think that was the opinion of the community. Um, so I, I definitely want listeners to understand that. And then I want listeners to understand that, you know, these positions that sit around the superintendent, these are pivotal. They're so critical to the students sitting in the classroom um, because they are providing the support to the teachers in the classroom. They're providing the support for the principals. Um, I would also mention that last time I checked, I believe we had half of our principals have left in the last um, less than two years. I think it's been about 18 months. We've had half of our principals um, either they either left or then they were put into different positions. So they changed positions and you know, I think the community really needs to understand the impact that when you lose all of that knowledge and you lose all of that momentum, what does that do to our students? It's destabilizing. Right. And we may not see that in a year, um, but maybe in two years you start seeing this. Um, and I, I just think you and I, we want this trend to stop. I, I think you and I, I, I think people were hearing your um, passion and I do want to reiterate that you and I really do care about the students setting in the schools and that we see top leadership as critical to those students' success um, or on the flip side, failure. And for you and I, I don't think failure is an option. And I think that's why you and I get so passionate about um about the superintendent, because we we do understand that that failure starts at the superintendent, and that if this is not taken care of, um, I think we really are concerned about our district as a whole. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk this through and and help our listeners understand um, the reality of of what's going on with uh, this board majority continuing to employ the only superintendent in Texas that we know of with a permanent restraining order. Thank you, Mary. And I look forward to our next podcast and the opportunity to talk some more. Yeah. Drop some comments uh, below and let us know what you think. And if you all have a superintendent, uh, let us know about it. We'd be interested to hear.